0: Welcome to the DC3 cast, my name is Brian, with me as always is Zach and Vince, we're here to talk about the DC Comics, released on February 6th, 2019, if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, and then come back to us, because that's what we're going to do this week, no real news to talk about, so we're going to dig right in, um, first of all boys, how you doing? <clears throat> Zach, this is my cue for you to mention Kingdom Hearts. You're actually gonna let me do it? Yeah, for a, for a minute or two. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh man, it's just so good. It's the best.
1: I I I have I not talked about it too much on Twitter just because I don't wanna like get into any spoiler territory and also just like there are like five people on Twitter who like the things I say and I get tired. I, I feel bad just for the other people who follow me who have to put up with all that stuff. Um I feel like I liked it a lot more than most people, than than the majority. I don't know. It's it's gonna be mixed, and I definitely fall more on the positive end. Um, it was wild. It was wet and wild. That's all I'll say.
2: <laughs> Do you see Goofy's dick in it?
0: Yes, actually.
2: Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Do you, does no. Captain
0: Jack Sparrow see Goofy's dick in it? Probably. Okay. There is a.
1: Wild bit about Captain Jack Sparrow. I won't get into it, but it is just
0: the,
2: weird. Does it does it break the fourth wall and address the, uh, the uh,
0: abuse the allegations against? No, it doesn't. the Michael Bolton, Oh yeah, no, uh, oh, back
1: that'd be great. Yeah. No, there is a lot of fourth world breaking, though. Uh, a lot of acknowledgement. Fourth world about breaking. World? Is <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, uh, Darkseid shows up. He's actually got... He got Norded. Well, um, he
0: is, so... Darkseid is Norded, Darkseid yeah.
1: is Norded. Now, a lot of fourth wall breaking, though. Uh, a lot of references to how long it's been for the game to come out and how... Um, th- there's literally a point in the story where uh, basically... 12 characters that you will not know about unless you played all the side games show up. And one of the characters is like cracks a joke about how no one can follow what's going on. And, and there's this cell phone mechanic in the game and Jiminy cricket hops out and says, I gave everyone a cell phone. If you don't know who someone is, you all should look And He basically says, check the wiki. You all should check the wiki. <laughs> <coughs> That's pretty good. Jiminy Cricket tells you to check the
0: wiki. Is this some sort of Cricket wireless promotion? Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: I can't believe I haven't seen that joke on Twitter or any. I've not seen anyone make that joke.
0: So here's the thing, Zach. This hasn't come out for nine days. You can make that joke. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Take it. Bless you. Go for it. Well, we're all very
2: happy for you, Zach. Um, we are. I'm living it vicariously through you.
1: Yeah. Now I just hope that the next one comes out before I'm forty. <laughs> How old are you? Twenty eight? Twenty nine. Oh uh, yeah, good luck.
0: It'll be a thing. Yeah. Well, let's get into some things here. Let's get into Batman number sixty four, written by Joshua Williamson, thank the Lord, illustrated by Gia March. This is uh, the first part of the Batman Flash crossover that sort of deals with Heroes in Crisis, sort of deals with the first arc. The price. Batman. It, the, the price. And sort of maybe we'll deal with Doomsday Clock too. We don't really know just yet. Um, but what do you guys think of this uh, non-Tom King issue? Um...
2: <laughs> I don't know what to think honestly. <laughs> I mean, it was the most okay, this is what I'll say. Um, it was the most I've liked an issue with the title of Batman in a while. Agreed. Um, but I also didn't I didn't totally flip for it, I don't think, but only because only because still it's a little bit ambiguous what the I don't know. The 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 big moment really comes at the end of the issue and the stuff that that leads up to it, I I don't know how much I got out of it story-wise, you know? Um it it kind of deals a lot with just uh, how Batman and Barry are are dealing with sort of the events that have happened between Rebirth and Heroes in Crisis and now. And I don't feel like it advances a whole lot until the very end. Um, but one one thing I did really like uh, was the fact that it's a it's an issue that's titled Batman. And it very much deals with Bruce in Barry Allen's neighborhood, you know? Mm -hmm. rather than his own. And I think that's pretty refreshing. I think that's something that DC used to do a lot more of. um, And it kind of is what makes DC feel DC. And so like, in some ways this was the most DC feeling issue of a Batman comic in a while. And I I appreciated that. So Zach, how about you?
1: Yeah. um, I was a little bit more mixed on this one too. um, Maybe than I kind of expected to be there. There were, a lot of things that I was excited about um, or, or looking forward to, I guess exciting is not excited. It's not really the right word. I, I do really like Guillem March a lot these days. Um, and I actually do kind of like, I can't say I really liked the Gotham characters necessarily, but I have wanted to get more of their story because I, I still just come back to the end of that one arc where there was the flash forward with Gotham Girl and um and Duke. Duke. And and I've just wanted I to get to that. that. I've wanted to get to that this whole time. Um or, or get more of that. And so I I'm glad that this arc is about Gotham Girl. Um there's something about the characters' design that I like. I think it's maybe just like the color scheme, really. But I, I just think that the they're not cool characters, but I, I, I just <laughs> like something about them. Well, um,
2: I mean, to me, they're 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 at least something different. So much of what Tom King has done has felt like a retread of familiar characters. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I'm in for that. This issue felt very. This was very set up. I felt like this was not yes. as good of a first issue as like the first issue of the button was of what of the button of what I can't do it as well as you guys the button the, there you go, there you there go. go. Um. so I, this this was fine
0: um, um, so I I agree that this was a very setup heavy issue and so it probably suffers a bit from that but I thought there were a couple of things that this issue did that were really important not just to this little crossover but to the current state of the DC Universe in general. The first is that this is the book that DC has published that has the most to do with like post-traumatic stress and dealing with the horrors of being a superhero – and it's not in Heroes in Crisis. Yeah. Like like Bruce Bruce seeing Commander Steel instead of Superman, and just like the various sort of uh, visual hallucinations that he has throughout the issue are legitimately, you know, stuff that happens to people who have post-traumatic stress. Like there, there was a lot in this issue that showed Bruce cracking under the pressure of being Batman. And... I feel like that was supposed to be what Heroes in Crisis was somewhat about, and we got none of that. And so at least these issues, which are, you know, if not directly related, at least thematically related to Heroes in Crisis, at least we are getting a little bit of, of that in this book. So that's the first thing I'll say about about it. Second thing I'll say about it is it just continues to amaze me how good of a grasp Williamson has on Barry there's that great sequence where Barry explains to Bruce that you have to keep moving and keep smiling and that your smile is what will let, was what will let people realize it's all going to be okay, essentially. And just like that, that's a brilliant little piece of, of Barry uh, storytelling that Bruce is the total opposite of. And so I just thought there was some, and even like, Barry figuring out why Bruce is there. You you see Barry's detective skills, which I think are something that, that get neglected a lot of times, but you see Barry sort of deduce how Batman could have known about the attack and get there in enough time and all of that. And um, so all of that stuff, I, I think from like a DC Universe overall building up of the shared universe ideas that are supposed to be stemming out of Heroes in Crisis and also just the sort of long term rehabilitation of Barry Allen since Final Crisis. In terms of things like that, this issue was very successful. It it didn't get me all that excited for the other three issues because this issue did feel like so much setup until that last page. But I still think that this is head and shoulders better than your than a Tom King Batman story.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Heroes in Crisis.
0: Yes. Definitely. So should we talk about that last page? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Zombie Bane Gotham? (laughs) Yeah, so Gotham is still alive and he's being sustained somehow by Gotham Girl and presumably from Bane Toxin, right? Yeah, and it sort ben of looks Brother?
2: like the the venom, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, what do we think about Gotham being alive?
1: Um go ahead, Vince.
2: I think it was I feel like it was pretty inevitable, you know. There I thought it was That's that's what that's like checkoff's gone, right? Tom King, we know Tom King's got 169 or whatever issues in the in the can here. And, I believe
0: uh, he has a uh, an Asriel plus five.
2: Yeah. Yes, I know. I wanted to say sixty nine though. I, I appreciate um, that. So, t- nice. so to introduce these, two, thank you. So, introduce these two characters, and then to dump one of them. You, especially since they they continue to bring Gotham Girl back, you have to think that there's some sort of arc there that that is going to be returned to. You know, so I wasn't surprised to see. Gotham's still alive um but it's very cool the way it's being dealt with i think um, i think it
0: also gives i'm um, sorry to interrupt you it's, i think it also gives a plausible reason for why gotham girl is working with bane
2: that was going to be my next point yeah so
0: mm-hmm.
2: um i think yeah i think that all ties in really well
1: zach um yeah i'm fine with it i i think you know he was killed off really quickly and at the time, I was okay with that because, like, he and Gotham Girl are, are you know, conceptually like so similar. One of them felt, you know, it. it one of them, it made sense for them to like act as cannon fodder, but, um, yeah, I'm fine with him coming back. <coughs> I, I think ultimately it it services her character well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I um. You know, one of the things that I think we get, maybe, uh, what's what I'm looking for? I I think sometimes we forget that there are nuggets of good ideas in a lot of what Tom King does, but the execution is so bad. And I feel like I have been down on Gotham Girl for a while now because I just kind of, because I'm so down on the way that she's appeared in Tom King's books. But I don't think there's anything about the character that is inherently bad. And I'm glad to see somebody else write her for a bit and maybe give her something to do other than just be what Tom King does with her.
2: hmm Which is not very much at all to begin with.
1: Right. Yeah, behind. and but and, and besides what Tom King's done, she's really only ever shown up in that one background in the Birds of Prey arc. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Oh
2: man. Good pull, Zach.
0: Um anything else to say about this? I think Guillaume March did good work in this issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I like Guillaume March. I it's it's
2: it's interesting when he shows up, you know. He shows up for like an issue here and there of anything. It could be any book. <laughs> you <Yeah. know?
0: laughs>
2: you, yeah. you never know when you're gonna get a little Guillaume.
1: Yeah, he you know, he did like a lot of he did that Rob Williams action comic story.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. Um he, which one was that? It was towards the end of Juergens' run with Luther. remember? It was
0: like... Oh, yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I still think of him as the Talon guy. Yeah. Oh,
2: <laughs> <Aww. laughs>
0: I really liked sad. his work on Talon, though. It was good.
2: Well, yeah, but that's no way to remember him.
1: oh. <laughs> You sure you don't remember him as a uh, New Fifty Two Catwoman? Catwoman.
2: That's that's what I, I remember him for. The pages of nude Catwoman that never uh, never made it to print. Do you guys know about that? No. There was an issue of New Fifty Two Catwoman where uh, she was she was supposed to like walk out. She was like she was like. At uh, Wayne Manor or something, and she was supposed to walk out I- into like the front yard or something in front of Wayne Manor. I do
1: know about this. Yeah, yeah,
2: naked and like Bruce, uh, Bruce and Alfred were supposed to like see her and go humming humming humming, humming. B- Basically, yes. Like, and you and and I'm pretty sure you saw butt, and then like uh, Bruce and Alfred's faces like strategically covered up her boobs you know but so essentially the austin powers uh like tense scene yeah basically yeah like okay. like yeah bruce like holds up a cupcake and it just yeah. perfectly no but but i think i think the story was you were going to see catwoman's uh, like fully nude backside and dc was like waffling on whether they were going to publish it and i think they ended up just completely scrapping the scene from the book entirely um
0: and that's how i remember (laughs) (laughs) Martín. who would have been writing at that point was that still judd dominic yeah he did the beginning of that he
2: did yeah that would have been because it was very early it was like catwoman issue six or seven it was supposed to be in i think
0: it was. It was after the roof boning.
2: Well, that was in the first issue.
0: Of course, it was. That was very. That was right up front. Got to sell them books.
2: Got us all hot and bothered.
0: And who'd have thought they'd almost get married seven years later?
2: Yep. Even though, even though Batman is uh, canonically a, a Volsel. <laughs>
1: yep.
2: <Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, anything else to say about Batman? No, it was decent. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the best issue of Batman since those Lee Weeks, uh, Mr. Freeze trial issues.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Sure. All right, let's dig into Female Furies number one, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Adriana Mello. This book felt delightfully old school to me in its art style.
1: Especially the flashback scenes.
0: Yes. Um, it's colored by Hi-Fi, who I'm typically not... I don't really notice Hi-Fi's coloring. It's just sort of there. But I I thought the coloring, especially in the flashbacks, really felt evocative of, like, 70s and 80s DC. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: My problem with Hi-Fi's colors is that I, I feel like they're always overshaded, especially the skin tones. And so, like... Um, characters often have a very shiny, like an overly shiny skin tone that that doesn't make any sense. Or like the amount of blush on a, on a character's skin is just for some reason over the top. But Hi-Fi's <laughs> colors in this are very flat and that's that creates a very, uh, like you say, old school effect. It's very Kirby-appropriate. And so is the art style itself. So, so yeah, good on good on the, the, the whole Adriana Mello hi-fi thing just totally works here.
0: What did you guys think of the issue story-wise? Zach, take it away.
1: I I dug it. It was fun. Like, it was sad. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. It was very troubling. Um, it was like but, Handmaid's Tale shit. <laughs> yeah, it really was, though. Yeah. Um, first time I've ever like felt anything for granny goodness. That's for sure. Like, dang. Um, yeah, Yeah, it was dark.
2: Yeah. This, this comic to me was like the, I don't know. I, I don't, I couldn't find the tweet and I don't remember it exactly, but there's a, there's a tweet that's like, um, hire more female Prison guards or something like that, and there's claps in between every word, you know.
0: Uh-huh. And that
2: that's like this comic is that tweet because like you're we're really not supposed to feel anything for Granny Goodness, right? Like she's is, she's is undeniably a villain, right? right? But like the way that the way that this story handles a very real, I mean, it's a very real situation when it comes to hierarchy and employment. Uh, the way that women are treated in this book, which is going to piss off all the right people, by the way, <laughs> when they when they see this. But um, uh, you know, it's 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 undeniably a, a a real set of circumstances, and yet it's applied to you know essentially all the worst people in hell, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but it works; it totally works. And the great thing about it is that it's so multi layered that there's even though it's a very there's very miserable stuff happening there's still like humor here and there like even though the like the um like sort of like the miss universe contest that they make the the ladies go through you know yeah it's a miserable situation for them to be in and that and that comes across but it's also undeniably funny that they these like impeccable female warriors have to have a baking content like that, that moment is also played for laughs and it works. Um, so, so well, well, I think it is like, uh, I don't, I don't even want to say over the top because it doesn't strike me as unrealistic. It's, it's unrelenting,
0: right? Well, I mean, it also introduces some ideas like, for instance, that dark side fucks, um oh, yeah. And uh you know, those type of things that Dark I, I guess Fox. I mean, <laughs> that is... <laughs> you know. He is. Dark side is getting down. Dark and, side uh, bombs. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, so just it sort of introduces some of that stuff that that like one one of the things that I felt about this issue is that it really humanized these characters both in good and bad ways. Like, I think sometimes Darkseid is written as this character that has very little in common with humanity whatsoever. And here you see, like, one of his base needs being, you know, sex and something that he uses to his advantage. And that's just, that's a very humanizing moment for a new god, even if it's not humanizing in a good way.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's well said. Um Yeah, and I think I think the ending is really cool too where they uh <clears throat> they kill this guy um and ended up end up burying him burying him on a passing comet. <laughs> that's going to be destroyed, right? And to, that was a very like dark, breaking bad ending.
0: Yeah, I'm watching a lot of Sopranos right now. This yeah, is it's a very Sopranos, very
2: Sopranos ending. It felt like the end of one of those episodes where you're supposed to the credits hit and you're supposed
0: to just be left with like, ooh, yep.
1: <laughs> that was dark. Yeah. So wait a second here. And so like,
0: so so Tony's dark side. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tony Soprano is definitely dark side. Uh huh. Um, is Granny goodness Carmela? Well, I, I guess so. Yeah, I guess she kind of has to be, right? Yeah. Yep. Desaad is totally AJ. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, um, so then Orion is is Meadow. Oh. He wants she. He oh. wants a better life for his, for Meadow. He doesn't want her to follow him into this uh, world.
2: Yeah, you're right. Okay.
0: All right. Um. Um. Hang on. Chris, hang on. Christopher is Steppenwolf. <laughs> he's not quite family but he's treated like family i'm just um, gonna let you go
2: off here because this is this is good let's
0: see who's barda uh i i guess barda is kind of like big pussy because she flips <laughs> but they kill her so that's the, does anybody flip and not get killed
2: big barda is big pussy pops. yeah exactly too. yes
0: yeah. that's perfect that's perfect uh so so that makes that means mr miracle is angie bump who (laughs) who eventually puts money on the street and kind of becomes like the first female member of the crew so that i guess that that's somewhat thematic she escapes uh suburban ennui so that there's there's that um let's see who's polly Who's Polly Walnuts? I
2: I was gonna say Steppenwolf was Polly or
0: or Syl, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think Christopher uh, makes sense there. Um, <laughs> let's see. So I guess that that means like Bernadeth,
2: I guess Bernadeth. Uh... Yeah,
0: I guess so. Oh yeah,
2: Lashina <laughs> Le- is Polly and Bernadeth is Syl.
0: Yeah. Uh, then I guess that makes High Father Agent Harris. Like in the FBI, right?
2: I guess, I don't know. Who's Uncle June then?
0: <laughs> uh, no, Uncle... Uh, he, I he him it might have to be Uncle June. Because then Bobby Bacala is... Uh, <laughs> is Light Ray, or Bug.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry you haven't seen the Sopranos, Zach. This is gold.
1: I'm missing out on everything. You are.
0: <laughs>
2: don't worry, when you guys do... Uh, Uh, The leftovers. Leftovers. I feel I'll be the left
0: out one. So yeah. Oh man. Uh, (laughs) uh, Something something. New Genesis is the bottom thing. All right. Let's (laughs) let's let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, So honestly. This issue is is really good, it's really fun, it shows a really dark side, pardon the pun, of, of these characters. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the sort of, I hate this phrase, but what the point of this miniseries is going to be. Like, at the end of it, what the overarching, like, um, thematic ground is going to cover is. Because at the end of this first issue, it's kind of hard to tell what the tone of the rest of the series is going to be um have we seen this um the leader
1: um that's with barda what's her name uh oh, Arli. have we seen her before uh... is she a new character i guess i could have like googled
0: i'm not sure Similarly, is the guy who wants to fuck her a new character? I don't know. Um... Willick, yeah.
2: Um, see, I don't, I don't remember Aurelia at all. Willick is wonderful. Willick, though, Willick oh, is better. Yeah. Now.
0: Oh yeah, okay. Take away the the uh, the adjective. I'm lost. Apparently, <laughs> well,
2: that's why that's why Kirby did it, right?
0: Yeah it It looks like
1: now, yeah, I think she is a new character, which makes sense, yeah um it's it's cool to see Barta kind of played against her um she's kind of filling the barda role, which is interesting,
2: mm-hmm. Which makes me think something bad's gonna happen to her.
0: Oh, she's yeah. she is definitely the like uh, the MacGuffin slash sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good stuff, though. Um, yeah, and it's nice to see uh, Cecil Castellucci doing some more at DC.
2: Yep. Yep some and some some mainline dc stuff and Adriana Mello's
0: art is really good probably the best of Mello's career i would say Well she's coming off of Plastic Man which i thought which was, was really was good also
2: Really good too yeah yeah definitely
0: So she's on a good streak right now Indeed Um i think when this was announced Because we were just wrapping up Mr. Miracle, we sort of hypothesized this might be the beginning of sort of the next stage of the fourth world at DC. And it looks now it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be sort of a retelling or reestablishing of the old fourth world. Do you think we're ever going to get to to like the modern times in this this book or no?
1: Mm,
0: I don't think so.
2: I don't think so either. This just feels like um the like a prequel of Granny Goodness's rise to prominence or whatever. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, and like and like Barda, you know, breaking away and and escaping becoming her own person.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'm excited for more of this. Um, that brings us to Justice League, number 17, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Jim Chung. This is a story that Snyder mentioned. Was it to us or was it just when I interviewed him about this book at one point? Like way back. I feel like you mentioned Man, this. I
1: can't remember.
0: <laughs> I know at he- some point I was talking to him and he mentioned this issue taking place on Mars. Like I want to say it was maybe at New York Comic Con. When Vince interviewed him, is that possible, Vince?
2: Uh
0: anything's possible.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: We talked with we we talked to Scott with enough regularity that it's hard to tell. But anyway, but he was saying how jazzed that, he was. What was it?
1: It's like I don't know that's a nice humble brag, Brian. Well,
0: I guess I'm not I'm not so humble about it. <laughs> I'm just bragging. kidding. We uh we earned that shit. Um, but no, I, you know, Snyder was very excited about this issue and sort of what it was going to set up going forward in Justice League, and I think that this is one of the more risky issues he's done as part of this run. Even though there's been sort of giant universe-changing events happening, this issue felt more, uh... There, there, was, there were more stakes here for the characters than anything we've really seen in Justice League so far. Um, what did you guys think of this uh, this issue? I
1: really liked the art. Yeah, okay. the art
2: the art was fantastic. Uh, Jim Chung is always, always welcome on this book.
0: Yeah. This is the first full issue Chung's done in a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: I think since like the end of the first arc,
0: Maybe, I think he yeah. did
1: issue seven, but he might not have even done the whole issue. I
0: can't remember. Well, does he do the whole issue here? Yes. Yeah, pretty sure. There was some book this week, and I should know this offhand, that had Emmanuel <clears throat> Lupacchino do some fill-in stuff on it.
2: Young Justice.
0: Young Justice, thank you. Okay, it wasn't this one then. all right. Um, so what do you guys think of, of the sort of story mechanic here of, again, big time spoiler alert of Lex Luthor as a kid interacting with John Jones as a kid and neither one of them remembering it for their entire histories?
1: Well, considering the Kingdom Hearts mindset I'm in right now, <laughs> I, I really liked the twist of uh, a relationship that was not remembered and then is remembered. Um, <laughs> I didn't love the mechanics
0: of it as much.
1: Um, and
0: if those are this, st- how, how the story was told.
1: No. Oh, kind of just like the, the, like the machinations that, that a- allowed this to happen. I guess if that makes sense.
0: Dig into that a little more. Just.
1: I'm having a hard time. So a part of it was, I think. And on initially reading it. um, Feeling like Snyder was retconning and to the point of contradicting what we already knew about Lex in his childhood, like what he had already established earlier in this run, even, which was previously established by like other writers. I think like most recently John's in, in the Superman secret origin uh, book with, with like Lex being like a poor kid in Smallville and his dad being a drunk or whatever, which like the issue did explain that all by the end. But then uh, it's just stepping on a lot of things. It, it's it's stepping on Martian Manhunter's history. Um, it's it's stepping on, I feel like, a little bit the Orlando mini right now. There, there's just a lot of things going on right now with these characters. And, and it's one of those things where, again, I think we've kind of like talked about this, where these layers and layers of secret history kind of... They, they can be good and they can be bad.
0: That's all I'll say. Vince, what do you think?
2: I, th- I Yeah, I, uh, I agree with what Zach says about how, like, you have to strain to make this make sense in your mind, and that's why I prefer not to do that sort of thing, you know? Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, creators can take bits and pieces from the canon from continuity and uh reference things from other writers runs but at the end of the day you you just have to assume that everything that's happened has happened and 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 either don't care at all or or figure out how far you can stretch credulity to 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 make it all make sense and I find it extremely easy to do that, especially when it's so well written. and I think the I think the confrontation that takes place over the course of this issue between <clears throat> lex and and martian manhunter is is really good, really strong writing and emotionally compelling. and there's like a ticking time bomb too that's really uh, makes it all feel very vital and And so to me, the the issue as sort of like a, it's not really a bottle issue, but you know, as a standalone it's story, close, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> as a standalone uh, issue in this series, really worked for me a lot. And so I don't, I don't really care if I can make it make sense canonically, you know. Okay. Uh, I I got a really compelling issue out of it at the end of the day.
0: Uh, As usual, I fall somewhere in between you two. Um, (laughs) Because on one hand, I did find it very compelling. But on the other, I I was initially a little bit worried about what Zach was talking about, sort of like making the mental math work for this, right? But the more I thought about it, I don't think this really undoes any Luthor stuff, nor does it undo any Martian Manhunter stuff. Like, yes... <laughs> Excuse me this this somewhat recontextualizes Lex's childhood but we don't really see Lex as at this age all that often usually when we meet Lex he's a teenager at Smallville High and so all of the stuff that we've seen before can all fit within this you know within this new wrinkle and same with John like even in Orlando's Martian Manhunter I don't see this as undoing any of that. I think that it doesn't undo
1: it. It just feels a little more like it's just, I think I just like what Orlando is doing so much. And this feels a lot like tamer, a lot safer, a lot less. If, if Orlando's thing wasn't going on right now, I probably wouldn't be feeling these things. If that makes sense.
0: Sure. It's just the
1: proximity.
0: Yeah, I, I I can understand that. Although I, I still think that I still think that they actually work well in concert together. And I think that maybe over time it will become more clear sort of how everything is fitting together. Uh but I I really enjoyed this issue for two reasons. One of the, which is what Vince said, sort of just but about the compelling nature of the story getting everybody uh out of the way to focus on Lex and John and of course Jaro which I love that Lex knows that's what they call it. Yeah. Uh, but um I really enjoyed it for that reason. The other reason I really enjoyed it is I just think that this is the example we've been looking for of a secret history not being explained in walls of text.
1: Yeah. That's like, definitely true. Yeah. This
0: is a really good example of what we complain that Tinyan can't really do. Which is like tell a story with minimal just, you know, gobs of text on the page. And for that reason, I'm really appreciative of this issue. I also think that this, I think Lex and John are a combination we've never really seen paired up against each other before have we uh other than the you know it's kind of been a through line in this very series i mean i mean before this series
2: yeah not that i can remember
0: and i like the combination i think it's a fun combination um yeah
2: anything to add i just want to bring up one more thing which is kind of a a general comment that kind of plays into this idea that you know Steve Orlando's doing his thing with Martian Manhunter and he's playing a central role in this series. I think we've talked on the show before about how isn't it funny how at DC like there's certain characters that are more or less off the table but then when they come back on the table all of a sudden that you see them in like three different places.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs>
2: I think we've talked about that before, with like like going way back to the beginning of the show. I think we've said that about like, uh, Batman Beyond, maybe, and then Booster Gold, Booster Gold, Hawkman, Hawkman. Um, there's one other one that I've uh plastic like Plastic Man, yeah. Plastic Man was nowhere to be found, and then all of a sudden he's in, uh, the Terrifics, and then he gets a miniseries that runs like concurrently. And has basically nothing to do with terrifics, you know, so yeah, it's funny that i I don't know if they think that well, as long as we're featuring this character in one book, we may as well wring all we can out of them, you know, yeah, I don't if they I have don't...
0: like they have a drawer full of pitches that they were saving until uh yeah until the character's I, back hey,
2: it's plastic man time, yeah, yeah, it, I just think that that's interesting, and now now we're seeing it happen with John Jones, so yeah.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. We have one more big discussion and a couple of micro-discussions. We'll take a break now, and we'll be back in just a minute with uh, with the more podcast. Hello! We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach.
1: And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster,
0: A Silent Voice,
1: and Pokemon Adventures.
0: We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations, like Netflix's Death Note.
1: At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick, so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on
0: MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with our fourth um book of the week to discuss a book that I think neither Vince nor Zach would have read if I didn't ask them to, and that <laughs> is uh, man or Man and Superman: the Hundred Page Superman Giant, written by Marv Wolfman, illustrated by Claudio Castellini. I'm gonna come out and say this guys, I really like this. This did not spark joy
2: <laughs> <laughs> as usual. I fall somewhere
0: in the middle.
1: Uh, uh, I actually, Brian. A... I want, yeah, I want Go you ahead.
0: to lead on this one. Okay, so um, I am not the world's biggest Marv Wolfman fan in in the 21st century, and if you read his like essay that begins this, you're just gonna roll your eyes and do the jack off symbol the whole time. <laughs> um, but if you can look past that, the the story is set in a very particular piece of Superman's history, which is sort of he's just left Smallville and that's a metropolis. And while there are some like undoubtedly dumb story mechanics here, like the fact that Superman for the first like five times he flies either puts a handkerchief over his face or a stocking over his head. Like he's like he's a crook in in the forties. Um if you can look past that, I think there's a lot of good superman stuff here i think there's a lot of good sort of fundamental foundational clark stuff i think there are some really nice moments of clark and lois and i also think that although lex is not in it oh excuse me for all that long i think that he does a really good job of getting the lex character pretty much down pat um This is a part of Superman's story that's often glossed over just because people want to see him doing Superman shit or being like the hayseed from Smallville. So I thought that this was an interesting place to set the story. I think it does an overall pretty good job of connecting all the dots that you would want connected in this type of story. And I thought there were some really nice character moments along the way. Even though there is also some Marv Wolfman bullshit, so Zach, be the counterpoint to my argument there.
1: I, I this is the best thing by Marv Wolfman that I've read since I guess I made myself read *Christ on Infinite Earths*. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad you liked this. I thought that I just I. This would be nice if this was the first like if if I had like someone had popped this into my hands like in the height of my smallville fandom like <laughs> and I had never read a superman comic before I would have eaten this up I thought it was, I would have thought it was great um re- reading it now it just feels like superman like 101 um it, mm-hmm. and like I I found it just like very predictable like obviously like was behind everything that I, I it, it was just beat for, by beat for beat, just like very bog standard Superman story. Um, aside from the fact that he wore handkerchiefs and, and stockings, um,
2: which is so weird because as we all know, Superman does not need to do that to get people to realize that he's not Clark Kent.
0: So yeah. I don't, I don't he, he, He's I know. also, in a time and place where no one in that city knows who Clark Kent is, <laughs> yeah. So,
1: um, uh, I I liked the art a lot. Um, yes, the art was really good. I've, I'm not familiar with this artist at all, and I enjoyed the art. Um, but like, I just <laughs> I, I'm amazed that this exists. Like, I did you I read the
0: essay about it? No, I did not. Okay, so do you remember superman confidential back in the day yeah yeah this was going to be a four issue arc of superman confidential it was written it was illustrated and then it was canceled the the series was canceled so this sat in a drawer for 10 years essentially wow well I, i it's good
1: that dc published it and like i i think like format wise this is cool um it's essentially kind of just like a mini trade paperback and that, even more so now because that probably would have been collected as like an arc i mean this is that
0: um it's 80 it's 80 pages essentially so it's a four issue it's arc, it's actually know.
1: like longer than that really but it's not,
0: when you take into account like the essay and the pinups that are in the middle of it it's like 80 pages of story
1: uh a, a, a little bit more than but yeah Actually, probably actually more than that, because like our PDF is 90 pages. There's a lot of double page spreads and like counting the pinups and stuff. That's like five and six, five or six pages. It's really long.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: It it was a lot closer to the 100 page mark than I expected Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Like it like I figure when this like the print version of this probably won't have very many ads or anything in it. Which is interesting to me
0: yeah it, it is interesting to me that DC decided to publish this now like uh, to me this seems like something they should have put in that like Action comics 80 years of Superman hardcover Ooh, and it's interesting too, and yeah. it's probably too long for that um, or like a digital exclusive or something this just this is a very odd thing to put to print in 2019. That is interesting that it
1: was written and illustrated back then. was it illustrated back then, or yes, it was okay yeah. because it feels fairly timeless, I guess like this feels like a a art- artistically like a comic that would come out today yeah, I mean it has kind of a classic style to it, like it's aping the era that you would expect this type of story to take place in um
0: but um... the funniest thing about his essay is that wolfman says that he wrote it in 2006 but it was to take place in 96 so he had to do a lot of research to make sure there weren't any anachronisms <laughs> and i feel like there's nothing in this book that reads any year <laughs> so it's very yeah. like, it's just funny that people aren't walking around like listening to sugar ray and uh talking <laughs> about the first season of Dawson's Creek, like that would be stuff that, if you wanted to set it, you know ten years earlier, you would do, but there's almost none of that here <laughs> uh Vince, talk to us,
2: yeah, uh well, I think you guys have have mostly said it all about this, but there's one point I wanna make uh above all else, which is that I think my thing. This was a fine comic. It was enjoyable, decently entertaining. It hit all the beats you would expect it to hit. Pretty much no surprises. Um I think I just never need to see another uh Wonder Woman origin, Superman or I know this isn't the origin, but like what I mean is I don't need to see any more Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman the early years. I think everything that's everything that there is to say has been said. Obviously there's stories that you could like wedge in there. Um, There's, there's ways that you can retell origins or retell the early years um, and slip new things in there. But thematically, like what, what does this comic do to tell you about who Clark Kent or who Superman is that hasn't already been accomplished dozens of times before. Sure. That's you know? valid point. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like read this in the lens of like Superman for all seasons or something like that.
2: Exactly. Like I don't, I don't need another Superman secret identity. I don't need another, uh, bat. That's kind of my problem with that Batman. Uh, uh, what the hell is the name of it? The one that's the one that's coming out right now. That's the last issue is super delayed. Batman damned. No, no 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 no. It's drawn you by mean the,
1: Jean oh, Paul Creature Leon. of the
2: Night. Creature of the Night.
1: Yeah, like, but that's like a that's like that's different.
2: No, because if you read that, like again, yeah, it's a different take on the early years of a Batman who's not really the Batman we know, but it's that it's the Batman story. But it's still not telling me anything. Like g- by going back and examining this like Bruce Wainwright as a kid it's not really telling me anything new about Batman that hasn't already been covered. You know, I feel, and I feel like the same is true of this. And I feel like just, we need to get to a point. And I understand that like, not everybody has read all these comics for somebody. This is going to be their first Superman comic as crazy as that sounds, you know? Um, but I just think that like at at my point in my fandom I'm so past this and I'm ready for like I'm ready for like what what happens to Superman next? When Superman gets older, what happens? I want to see all these people aged up. You know, I don't want to go back to the past anymore cuz I don't get anything new out of it. I I want I want like the Batman beyond for the entire unit. I want the universe to shift that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This feels so it's all been done before. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's good. It's a good comic. Solid. Like it's a solid. Yeah, made.
1: it is like, again, like, I feel like if you hand this to someone who just likes wants to is new to Superman comics, it's, it's perfectly crumpulent. <laughs> Um, man, now I just don't you wish in that Batman that the the Batman Secret Identity comic that his name was Rufus Wainwright. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely, it's pretty good. His father, Thomas Wainwright III.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't remember that goof to bring it back. Let's nice call back when that issue finally comes out in 2023 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I guess the reason I wanted to talk about this was just that I can't believe that we got a Marv Wolfman comic that was this good.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is, it is, I mean, compared to Raven Daughter of Darkness, this is like Watchmen.
2: <laughs>
0: well, Zach, why don't you keep the train going here? You want us to talk about the dreaming a little bit in a, actually, you know, let's do our list first, actually. So yeah, this week, yeah. Let's speak on the good list. We have Adventures of the Super Sons and Deathstroke, both of which were very good. Mm-hmm. A tie-in shift kiss emoji sure. Uh, on the okay list we had uh Green Arrow and Harley Quinn, both of which I think were good okays. Uh, there was interesting stuff happening in both of those. Did both of you guys read those books?
2: I did, yeah.
0: I, I didn't read Harley Quinn, but... Harley Quinn actually had a really good Batman-Harley Quinn like single-issue team-up story. And Harley uh, Quinn's Robin now. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but sh- but she also pulls the Roger Rad- Roger Rabbit trick of uh, being able to get out of the handcuffs the whole time, <laughs> um, which is fine. And uh, yeah, and nothing on the bad list this week. And the New Age of Heroes list has the Curse of Brimstone on it. But Zach, take it away about the dreaming. Who wrote it? Who illustrated it? What's going on? Uh-
1: um so it's it's still Size Spurrier illustrating um and I believe it was Quis Evely on art uh, alone this time. Yeah, yeah, she had did the whole issue this time. This is the end of the first arc. Um I know you guys aren't reading this um but it kind of wraps up the the story arc with the Judge character um and My name I, is I, Judge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I know last issue I said that I it seemed like they were building up to maybe there being like a new endless character to take over from uh, uh, Morpheus or, or mm-hmm. not Morpheus anymore. But uh, Daniel, Daniel Hall. Yeah, um, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. So, well, first of all, I want to say, like, there. there's some really cool moments with uh, the Dora character. Um, like she gets some good beats can enable have some good beats, but then like the, the reveal at the end is there's, there's this like cube that shows up and it's like a cocoon. And then it hatches into this like terrifying moth creature that is like an insane artificial intelligence that has like inserted itself into the dreaming and it's super trippy and weird. Um, very much not what I expected at all. Like it, it, it took a weird turn. I'm not. I'm not really sure what to make of it.
0: Is it at least interesting?
1: It is interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And like artistically, visually, it's it's fantastic. Like this is maybe this issue is insane. Like how detailed it is, but it's like a very messy detail. Like you just you look at pages and it's just chaos. Um, it, it's it's really impressive. This is some this is like some of uh, Evalee's best work, I would say. Um, yeah, I I still am really liking this book. This is the only Sandman Universe book I'm still reading, but I I really like it quite a bit.
0: I do yeah. want to read it in trade. Yeah, I think that'll be a good way to read it. Um, I was actually talking with a friend of mine about this the other day, how. Everyone I know essentially read Sandman and Trade, and how maybe these books just work better in that format.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, Vince, you want to talk about the Green Lantern, so take us there. Uh,
2: yeah, I just want to kiss uh Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp's butts, um, again. The oh, god, this series, it's so good. I, I waffle back and forth as to whether this or, or the wild storm is the best thing DC's putting out. But like this week, I think it's this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and when Wildstorm comes out, I'll say, ah, that's the best. Um, the cover alone, you guys, The co- what? like there's something about these green lantern covers. that's a little different from what other covers are doing. First of all, they all have this like very silver agey, like,
0: Text thing on there. title, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, and like this text: "Who prevails when the knight of light meets the queen of night?"
0: Yep.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. The subtitle of the issue:
0: "The Cosmic Vampire's Beautiful Daughter." (laughs) Mm -hmm. The best. It's so good. (laughs) And then, even though, even though we complain all the time. About how when an issue is titled something that doesn't show up to the final page. Yep, which is exactly and, what this.
2: I guess that's just yeah. DC's thing now. Um, I mean,
0: it isn't. It isn't like she was
1: featured throughout the whole issue, right? But, but you know what I'm saying. Though. The yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, look at that f- very first page. The co- the Liam Sharp composition where there's like the the sort of endless ocean with these spires of they almost look like fossils.
0: Mm-hmm. coming
2: out and then the, just the way that that's structured and the detail and how the the sort of thing at the bottom whatever that is creates two panels down below and it, just like breathtaking stuff I opened this comic up and I was like stuck on this page just looking at it and thinking like no one man should have all this power yeah. to <laughs> draw like this Um, and I just, I love how like Morrison bombards you with, um, terminology and, 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 and plot detail that you have no ability to understand immediately. Right. But by the end of the issue, you're not confused at all. Like, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. The the first few pages of this comic are like, D- deliberately confusing or like unintelligible without knowing what comes later. Yeah. And then it actually, all was, makes sense.
0: I was actually thinking about that this week, It's It's interesting you bring that up that like, if this book was written by somebody not named Grant Morrison, if by page four, a lot of folks would have checked out.
2: Well, and, and, I, I I wanna be careful to not say that like it's just because he's Grant Morrison that I that I give a shit. But you trust him more. Well he's so when... got and he's got a way of writing it that is engaging even as you don't at first understand it. Sure. Whereas other writers do this and it's boring as sin and you don't understand it. Right. And you and then you don't wanna stick around for what comes next. But with this, it's like in every, every word is like an engaging little nugget. Even if you don't know what wild sun eaters consuming an M sequence star, (laughs) what the fuck that means, you know, yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And then like the twist, the the twist that this like cowboy guy is Hal, uh, that, you all saw that coming, right? Like I
0: was was pretty heavily telegraphed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but still doesn't it just work as this, like, as this, like, uh, it's almost tropey in that way. You know, like uh, Morrison rides this line between like totally groundbreaking and innovative as a storyteller to like hanging so tight to certain tropes that, you know, he's being tropey and like, It's, it's almost with his writing, almost every choice he makes to go one way or another with that ends up working, you know? Yeah. I can think of very few times where I was let down by Morrison hewing too close to a trope or going too far outside the bounds of, of like reasonable storytelling, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: I will say I was surprised that Hal's direct actions at the end of the last issue were not addressed more, uh, I guess, more clearly. Like, we sort of see the fallout of, of Hal killing that alien, but there was much less discussion about that than I thought there'd be. And I'm glad about that, but I'm surprised by that. Like those those actions definitely set the issue in motion, but in other hands, they would have spent the first half of the issue sitting around talking about it. Sure, and that wasn't done at all. So I'm glad about that.
2: Yeah, the way he navigates that is 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 really great, and I think I think what you're going to see here because what 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 we're being told is that Hal is secretly trying to join the Black Stars, right? I I think what you're going to see is that this is going to end up being some sort of redempt. I mean again, this is a police story, right? Like mm-hmm. we've been told He's all- undercover, yeah. Right, we've been told all along this is a police story. How many how many classic police stories are okay, officer dipshit whatever, <laughs> you screwed up, your way to redemption is you have to go undercover and you may get killed and we're going to we're going to uh, you know you're you're plausibly deniable. You know, yeah, <laughs> like that. That's that's this whole thing. It's just again, it's so like tropey and almost not pulpy, but like classic classic cop
0: story in that way, right? right? Yeah, oh, I love it. I recently read something um, about poetry actually, where somebody said that like, the the only poets that should that should concern themselves with form are beginners and experts, mm. and that like in the beginning you need the form to figure out like what poetry is, and then once you're expert at it, you can subvert the form by using it you you can use it for subversion essentially, and I feel like morrison is is the expert of comicing and therefore he can use these tropes and use the format of comics and use the history of comics and all that in a way that that somebody who's not at his stature in terms of talent could pull off Mm -hmm. does that make any sense
2: yeah totally and that to be honest that's my favorite kind of writing in any in any genre in any form in any media that's my favorite kind of and that's why Morrison's my favorite, and that's why Warren Ellis is up there, because he does that too, or is capable of that anyway. Um, that's what I like. That's what
0: I like about comics. Yeah. Uh, so the book I wanted to talk about with the uh, the micro-review today is Young Justice Number no. 2, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Pat Gleason and Emmanuel Lubequino. So, I think this issue had some good stuff in it. I'm not saying it didn't. But didn't this feel like the most bend decompressed, not-really-getting-to-the-point-of-what-you-want-to-see issue we've gotten so far? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like, everybody... The first issue ends with Connor Kent. Everybody's so excited. And this issue totally ignores that. To tell a story that really doesn't interest... You as much and just sort of reintroduces some of the characters. Like, the stuff with Cassie and her grandfather was interesting, but nothing that happened in this issue felt that it like it needed to happen in the first two issues.
2: That's a good way of saying it because I really did. I really liked all the Cassie Sandsmark stuff in this, but it's not. It is not what I wanted to see following issue one. You're right. yeah, you, you nailed that, Zach. What do you you?
1: Yeah, it was weird. It 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 picked up in a weird place. It it. I liked all of the character interactions, although I I did think like the extended Cassie section was kind of weird. Um, this early in the book, I, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I didn't I didn't care for it as much as the first issue.
0: That's yeah. that's definitely true. Yeah, I really do think that all of this stuff was fine, and I think that if. We're rereading this issue in six months. We'll probably enjoy it more than we did now. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the two most compelling characters in that first issue, because of their absence and their sort of odd place within DC mythos, are Bart and Connor. And to take them off the table just seems like a cruel trick. I don't know. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It
2: reminded me... More than anything of Bendis's uh, sort of double run with the X Men titles,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like this is the most Bendis X Men feeling book uh, that we've gotten, I think. And what I mean by that is like both of those, if I remember correctly, nobody, nobody tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong, okay. But the way I remember it is that both series, and it was what all new X Men and Uncanny that he was writing Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
2: both of them started out with these six issue decompressed arcs where the lead up to them was this pitch very simple pitch one was like magneto is building a team of x-men and i think that was uncanny yes and then all new was the heroes from the original x-men in their young forms are in the future now somehow and it spent six issues in both series on this like weird minutia on its way to getting to the point of what the, what the mission statement of, I, of either series was right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we're getting exactly that here and it's not bad. The Cassie material is not bad. In fact, I, I found it quite good, but it's, not it's not exactly what i want to see and i feel like with bendis publishers give him the benefit of the doubt on stuff like this i feel like too many other writers who don't get as long of runs on characters or titles or titles that don't last this long or or aren't guaranteed to last as long as as dc wants them to try to do this stuff and it ends up really feeling disappointing in the end and I feel like we don't have to worry about that because of who Bendis is and because of DC's sort of long game with this book, you know. But in general, this style of comic book storytelling bugs me, especially in – if you think about, like, where in these – like, what, we've been with Rebirth now almost three years?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: From the beginning of Rebirth to now, how far have we really advanced in the DC Comics timeline, you know? And I feel like it's because books like this could be moving a lot faster than they are, you know? Yeah. There's there's no real reason that we should have taken three – that we're taking more than three years to get through Doomsday Clock to get – to and and that all the books have to kind of drag their feet along the way – and that nothing can really advance, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's ugh, it, but it, it's, it, I understand why it's done from a financial perspective, from a publishing perspective, but as somebody who reads all these books every week, it really bugs me.
0: <laughs> yeah, agreed. I think that if this issue was split, if you pulled the extended Cassie sequence out. And put that in their in their place in that place the Connor Bart stuff, and save the Cassie stuff for later on the road. It, this issue would have read much better. Mm-hmm. Even though I like that stuff, it just doesn't seem like it needs to be second issue material.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But anyway, well, this was a record short show for us, like just and a little, and, a little... and yet no better for it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so so what does that tell us i don't know
0: i don't know either uh what do we have coming up next week Vince? You Have that pulled up yet oh, i feel God, like you no. no, i feel like you're usually you're usually on top of this
2: i'm usually the guy well,
0: i'll do it i'll do it i'll beat you to it hang on really? okay
2: i got it i got it fuck all right batman who laughs okay detective comics 998 inching
0: ever closer
1: to one thousand. Ooh,
0: next Th- that, that means in two weeks we have the Herman Cain issue. <laughs> it's a political deep cut, folks.
2: If you've never heard uh, Tim Heidecker's Herman Cain album,
0: yep, it's great. Oh,
2: please go read, <laughs> oh, go listen to that. Oh man, I'm going to listen to it as soon as I hang up here. Um, I just want to point this out, even though we're not reading it. Next week, the black label edition of uh, the new frontier comes out. Okay. And by God, if you haven't read that, listeners, what what are you doing with your life? First of all, but don't black re-
0: label version. I, I from what I've read, it's exactly the same, except everyone's dick is out. <laughs> Can
1: <Came> confirm. <laughs>
2: Instead of uh instead of watching uh, Marx brothers movies to to learn about uh American culture, uh John Jones is watching a nasty old porno. Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: Um okay. <laughs> uh Electric Warriors number four, Flash, sixty four, Goddess Mode number three, Hawkman number nine, uh House of Whispers number six, Justice League Dark eight, uh Red Hood Outlaw, Zach's Fave, uh Zach's problematic fave number 31 By the way,
0: <laughs> somebody tweeted at multiversity today when so whenever dc tweets at us with like our preview the, the replies are just the best and someone just replied like essentially enough of this shit we need more red hood and i was like more than his ongoing series like isn't that plenty yeah but does the joker fuck <laughs> yeah exactly uh supergirl
2: number 27 Ooh, yeah superman number eight titans number 34 brian's problematic fave it's not uh, problematic at all. uh wonder woman number 64 and guess what else you guys wonder twins number one Ooh.
0: nice that's some hot shit break out the butter juice <laughs> i don't know what that means but okay you know what it is yeah. <laughs> Uh, until next time, you can find uh, two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian needs a nap. I'm at Walker Fox. If you have to get in touch with Vince, uh, there is an Indian restaurant in the Twin Cities that he loves more than us, and uh, you can find him there.
2: <laughs> we still ended at the same time, you guys. <laughs> I'm
0: just, te- I'm just teasing you. It's fine.
2: Uh, uh, I'm at Howard Schultz. <laughs> Everybody loves me. <clears throat>
0: Vote yeah. for me for president. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so tune in next time, and yeah. bye. Uh, You didn't hear me. I said more like Kingdom Farts.